If you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Gradients Podcast. I am here with Chandan Loda, the founder, co-founder of Coin Tracker. They are now Series A, 100 million raised. We originally worked together to land their VP of Engineering, Gaurav Garg, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how that's impacted the company and all the learnings and, and evolution from there. But yeah, thanks for coming on, Chandan. Really appreciate it. You bet, Nigel. I'm excited to chat with you, and we really appreciate your help in recruiting. Absolutely. Yeah, we're honored to be a part of the story. So just to go into the beginning, I know that you were part of the associate product manager program at Google. How did that prepare you or what do you feel like you took from that to that led into your founder journey from a, a skill set, if not an interest perspective? The APM program at Google is incredible. I had a, a really amazing experience there and I, I probably go on and on about like why. In a nutshell, some of the awesome things were one, it just is a very easy transition from a college environment into a working environment because they kind of just provide a lot of structure and community that is kind of like halfway between like a college environment and like a traditional working environment. So it's a very smooth transition. You have a cohort of like 30 other people who are kind of in very similar shoes to you. You get a great crash course in what is technology, how to build products, how to work with a technical team, like engineers, product designers, partnerships, marketing, really smart coworkers. I met a lot of my current teammates while I was at Google. And I think the biggest thing is it really helped me build my own confidence. I was like not ready personally to be a founder coming straight out of college and not be different for other people. But for me, I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to build a company or work. And I think just seeing how one of the best companies of our time operates helped me build a lot of confidence around that. So yeah, just in a nutshell, building confidence, seeing how a strong company is run, getting familiar with how tech products are built, and then having this community of other like really smart and talented people to work with. Awesome. And then I know there's the story of like one of the things you got a chance to work on there was building an integrations for Coinbase, which is like maybe your first taste of Bitcoin. I guess, can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself so interested in financial literacy and financial technology like over that period? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that one we kind of fell into. My dear friend, Vera, who's now our, our COO at Cointracker, kind of was running the partnerships side of the house when we were working on Google Search and Google Now. And so Coinbase was one of the partners that she closed for that integration. But to be totally honest, at that time, I don't think I was taking cryptocurrency super seriously, even though I had a Coinbase account and I got a small amount of Bitcoin and things like that. It wasn't actually until a couple of years later in 2017 that I ended up getting a lot more interested in fintech. And the reason for that is that I had seen firsthand, as many people in Silicon Valley and just in the world have seen, how the internet totally disrupted every major industry based on the distribution channels it offers. So you would see e-commerce get totally changed, turned upside down by Amazon, hospitality by Airbnb, transportation by Uber and Lyft advertising by Google and Facebook. And it was because the internet offered like sort of like infinite distribution with such little cost. But I noticed, and again, this is not a unique insight that I have, but I just noticed that didn't fully disrupt certain industries like healthcare and finance. 
those were slower to kind of have that distribution of the internet fully change those industries. And we probably a variety of reasons for that in terms of them being like sort of like higher risk industries, more regulated industries. If things go wrong, things go catastrophically wrong in those industries. And so between those two, the finance was the one that kind of like really I thought was the most interesting. I was like, wow, money is really the same as it's been during my entire lifetime. Banks, yes, they have mobile apps now, but they basically work the same as they have before. You know, all these banks have been around for like 100 plus years. Like there's not a huge amount of change that has happened in terms of the way I interact with money during my lifetime. Whereas everything else in my lifetime has been totally changed by the way technology works. So that kind of got me more interested in looking more into it. It's like, hey, why is this not changing at the same pace as everything else in my life? And so the initial product that we started working on had actually nothing to do with crypto. I was very skeptical of crypto. I was like, this crypto stuff is overhyped. Like, I don't know about this crypto stuff, but fintech, you know, fintech is where it's at. And we started working on John and me. John is my co-founder, who's also at Google. We started working on a traditional fintech product that allowed people to sweep over extra savings that they have and nudge it into like investments or equity accounts or brokerages and just try to get people to have better financial hygiene. But what happened is that we had to build on the traditional financial rails of ACH network and SWIFT network, like the way global finance works today. Right. And that technology is pre-internet era. It is slow. It is inefficient. It doesn't work well internationally. It doesn't work on weekends. It doesn't work on holidays. And that was like, we became acutely aware of how, how bad it is, right. even though we relied on every day. And that was the kick that we needed in order to be like, okay, let's give this crypto thing another look. Wow. Yeah, I get where you're just already seeing the hurdles that are going to slow down pretty much everything like full stop because of the existing infrastructure. So to take a step back, how do you and John find each other? Like what is, how does that relationship form and, and how do you decide this is the person I want to jump in this boat with? Yeah. Sometimes you just know, yeah, I thought about this a huge amount. It wasn't like this highly strategic thing. Okay. So just taking a step back, when I was in the APM program at Google, it's a two-year rotational program. I kind of went in thinking, okay, I'll do this for two years and then I'm going to go do something more entrepreneurial. So I did that for two years. I met John randomly. He was an engineer on one of the teams that I was on in my second rotation. And when he joined, my manager pulled me aside and she was this big shot like director who was managing a 200 person team. And she was like, pay attention to this guy, John. And I was like, okay, well, she never says that about anyone. Yeah. Cryptic. <laughs> yeah. She singled out this one guy, like, you know, I'm curious, what a weird thing. Like he must be really interesting. So I was like kind of paying attention to him and just absolute rock star. Like this guy is one of those 10X engineers who like, just run circles around other people. And I was just like totally blown. I was like, this guy rocks. Like I need to like be around him. And so we had some fun working together for a couple of months, but actually what ended up happening is when our teams kind of split and we ended up going different ways and working on different things. But a year and a half later, I was kind of, again, thinking about, okay, maybe I should do this entrepreneurial thing, but I don't have a co-founder. I don't know what to do. And so I was kind of interviewing for different jobs. And I, by pure random chance, I ran into John on the Googleplex. And for those who don't know, like Googleplex is enormous. It's like yeah. miles and miles, like buildings all over the place. So it wasn't like we're just running into each other all the time. It was like, I hadn't seen him in years. And we just decided to get breakfast. And he was like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored of my job. Think about quitting. And he's like, no way, me too. <laughs> and I was like, we should do a startup together. And he's like, yeah, we should. And I was like, oh, it's kind of joking, but wow. we should. And yeah, so we started meeting up every weekend. His green card had just gotten approved 
that day. Wow. And so it was just like, I don't know, the stars aligned. And I was just like, this guy's amazing. And I think in retrospect, like what has made us really strong partners is that we are very value aligned and skills complementary. And that's a very powerful combination. Absolutely. That is crazy. Just as fate would have it, like that day, that moment, at that point in your lives, and you'd already... And so after that, you're like, okay, we should start a startup together. You start working on the traditional clunky rail system of traditional fintech. And then you kind of collectively come to this idea like, all right, well, there's this new evolving financial infrastructure coming in crypto. I know you had some, this was like a personal problem that you were solving, but maybe you could tell us about how the coin tracker concept came about for you both. Yeah, for sure. By the way, it was like a six month tumultuous walking through the fog of not having any idea what we were doing. So like, it's kind of nice to look back and be like, yeah, we had this great idea. Perfect. (laughs) It was not like that. It was like, we were just experimenting with totally random stuff. Yeah. A lot of pain at first. Six months of no income, no idea what we were doing, building random stuff that no one cared about. But what ended up happening is we kind of ended up doing this clunky financing you're talking about. I think in retrospect, again, what was really helpful is exploring the fog of startup discovery with a lantern consciousness, as opposed to like a very directed focus. And so it's like, we have some ideas we're exploring, but the brilliant billion dollar idea or whatever, isn't necessarily the thing that we're thinking of, but it might be in the periphery. And so just having a very wide eyed view of what we were doing ended up being really helpful because we had tons of terrible ideas. So we build this thing and no one cares. No one uses it. ACH sucks. Like these bank transfers are taking 10 plus days. And so we're kind of thinking, okay, how could this be better? What would make this better? Okay. The crypto thing. Let's go back and read this Bitcoin white paper. So we did that and we weren't even thinking about it from a business perspective or anything. It was just freely exploring. Yeah. And as a natural part of that exploration, it was like, okay, what is all this crypto stuff? Let me just go test it out. So John and I both independently did this, like just on our own free time. We each created a ton of different cryptocurrency exchange accounts. So we had accounts on Kraken and Poloniex and Coinbase and GDAX and all this stuff. I built an Ethereum miner. I set up a Monero full node. We were just tinkering. Just an R&D department of two. It was R&D department. Like, yeah, we had free electricity, miners running. It was like a little <laughs> hacker shop. And by doing that, there was no like specific problem we were solving. We were just exploring. And through that exploration, it became immediately obvious that neither of us had any clue what coins we had. So like we were making these transactions, moving this asset from here to there, buying this Bitcoin here, converting it to Ether over there. But the only way to keep track of all of that was to line, line by line by line by line, put it in a spreadsheet. And you can do that for five transactions, 10 transactions, maybe even 100 transactions. But as soon as you do anything more than that, it just completely breaks down. It's like, what's the price history? What's the cost basis? Which wallet is it in? How did I get it there? What date did that happen? And it's just a total mess. And so what each of us independently did is we had the spreadsheet and then we started adding formulas and then we started adding Google Apps scripts. And eventually it just like took two minutes for this page to load. And we were both like kind of, I think a week later, like turned to the other person and we're like, how the heck are you solving this problem? And we were like Googling it and like there was no really great solutions. And so we're like, why don't we just build a simple thing that will solve this for ourselves? And it's not a business or anything. It's just, it'll solve our own thing. So we did that. And we posted it in a couple of places, like a couple crypto Facebook messenger groups and Reddit groups. And it is 2017. So like almost none of my friends had crypto at this time. So it wasn't like I could just go test this out with people. Right. So we tried to find a couple of places. I got banned from a ton of personal finance forms for showing our stuff. And the thing that kind of made us know that we were onto something there was 
unlike all the clunky finance things that we were working on before, literally no one cared about those. I sent them to like all of my friends and family and no one cared. With this crypto thing, we posted it on this Reddit and this other place and people started emailing us like really angry feature requests like from <laughs> all over the world. Like, why the hell does it not integrate with this thing? And like, right. this thing is broken. And I was like, wow. Like, oh, they care. Yeah, this total shit thing that we built, like people are upset that it's not better. Like yeah. maybe we should invest more in this. So we just dumped everything else we were doing and just went full focus on this. And then a month later, we got into YC. Wow. And so at that point, you're turning the corner from the R&D exploration into like product development mode, maybe. You get into YC, now you're in, all right, we're business building, not just product developing. What does that look like next as you're, obviously it grows beyond just the two of you able to handle all of this. What do those next hires look like? And you mentioned the value alignment piece. I know from working with you that that's like a huge piece of how you hire is like, are they value aligned? Can you tell us a little bit about how all of that starts to develop for yourselves? Because you're thinking about the product and the space, but not necessarily about like the team at that point, maybe. For sure. So we get into YC. Both of us are shocked by this, by the way. Like our interview was so brutal, but we got in. That gave us a lot of, of confidence boost. Like, okay, we're onto something. We have a small amount of funding, a little bit of validation here. And most importantly, so YC was totally game changing for us. And there were a variety of reasons for that. But one of them was that Unlike in our friend groups, where almost no one had any crypto at all, in Y Combinator, every single founder had crypto. So we suddenly went from having zero sort of personal connections to ask questions and do user testing to literally every single person around us was a user or like a potential user. That was very, very helpful. Also, YC really pushes making progress and like trying to get like a hockey stick chart of like revenue in the next three months. So there's an immense pressure to like figure your shit out and like get product market fit and like start getting money. And we were making zero money at this time. And so what happened was this is now January, 2018. And people have just come off the biggest hype cycle that cryptocurrency has ever seen. And so tons of people have like these huge amounts of capital gains and stuff. And someone turns, actually, I think this was Devin Finzer, who's now the CEO and co-founder of OpenSea. He was in the same batch as us. He's He turns to us and he's like, can you please help me do my cryptocurrency taxes? And we're like, we don't have a background in taxes, but sure. He's like, I'll pay you $50. I'll pay you $100 if you just like figure out how to do this. And we're like, oh, wow, Devin's going to pay us $100. It's like, <laughs> maybe we should look into this. Right. And then like the next guy's like, I'll pay you $500. And then the next guy's like, I'll pay you $1,000. Just like make sure I don't get out of it. Wow. And so now we have, these people have our attention. We're like, okay, people are willing to pay for this. And taxes is actually, once you look into it, very similar problem to portfolio tracking. It's just taking the reconciled ledger of transactions that you have and then translating that into the right tax forms, which is actually a relatively straightforward process. It's actually the reconciliation part. That's the secret sauce that's difficult. So we looked into that, we launched something and it took off right away. There was a huge amount of demand for that. So for this period of time, we're really focused on just two of us, John and me, product development, talking to users. Like John would build something, I would go talk to users, rinse and repeat all day long. And we just sat 50 times a day and there was no hiring. And we, like you said, were very militant about being value aligned with hiring. It took us probably six months from then until we, when we made our first hire after wow. that. And it wasn't because we weren't trying. We were doing tons of interviews. We talked to tons of people. We were on every hiring platform. We were just being very picky about, like we had heard this advice from YC and from so many people that each person you bring on is going to massively shape 
the culture and the type of company and the next 10 people and then the next 100 people, the next 1,000 people. So we wanted to be very careful about who are these people that we are going to be like allowing to shape the company. And we had plenty of work for just the two of us to do on finding that product market fit, honing it in, scaling it out. So at that period, yeah, it was two of us really focused on that. And then six months later, finally, we started bringing the next person on. Wow. So John's building, you're doing kind of the user interviews and, and making sure that you're building the right thing, not just building the thing right. And we hear that that founders are spending at least 50% of their time recruiting. How accurate was that for you across this six months? I have to go back and check my calendar, but I think that's totally right. Nowadays, I probably spend even more than 50% of my time recruiting. I think it is one of the most important things. And so what was that explicit process between you and him of getting those values on paper or front and center in the interview process? And what did that look like or how did that come about? Yeah, we did. We spent a lot of time together kind of thinking through what do we want our guiding principles to be? What should we look for? How should we structure our hiring process and our hiring playbook? How can we incorporate those guiding principles and values into our interview process? Writing it all down, putting blog posts out there, putting hiring pages out there. We spent a lot of time doing that. And John really cares about these values too. So it was really important for us to do this together and like get it written down and communicated in a really effective way. And to be honest, I was very surprised by how impactful that has been. At the time, I was kind of like, oh, like their values, like every company has values and like people actually care about this. Like everyone wants to have excellence and whatever, but it is absolutely game changing. It's super helpful for hiring, super helpful for internally just reflecting on what are we actually trying to do here? Where are we willing to sacrifice versus where will we like toe the line to the end? It's been really helpful to have that all written down and like collaborated on together. Wow. And so what does that path look like from that second person to the third, the fourth, the fifth? And I guess, too, you had so many different avenues for finding these people. What turned out to be most effective early on? We failed a lot is the short answer. Like, So Joan and I both came from Google. And so my initial inclination was like, oh, great. I'll just like hire a bunch of people from Google. The thing is, when you're a two-person company that has like minimal traction in a crazy space like crypto and imagine 2017 or 2018 crypto is like is like even more nascent and even crazier than like it is now or crazier in the sense that like it would be much riskier to join a crypto company then Mm -hmm. like googlers don't want to do that like googlers have awesome jobs that are super high paying very stable and like they aren't interested in taking this massive risk so that was highly ineffective trying to convince long tenured googlers to quit their cushy jobs to join this like high risk startup What ended up being really effective in the early days was finding people who are actually just users of Cointracker. Interesting. Because they resonated very deeply with what is the actual problem that we're trying to solve and what's the mission and what's the potential here. And it's like, we would try to pitch random people. Oh, Google, like crypto is going to be so huge. Like tax is the core problem. It's like, they don't care. They don't know. They don't care. They never gone through it. Like, what is this random boring tax thing? But the people who had actually gotten some crypto and like tried to do their taxes before we're like wow this problem is impossible i spent 100 hours trying to do this my cpa is pulling their hair out like shut up and take my money right and once they've used the product like wow i have 50 ideas on how this could be better and so like our first designer was like redesigned the entire coin tracker like landing page and just sent us the designs and we're like you're hired wow another person was a user of the product and was like you're missing this integration and this integration and i wrote the code like here's the code just like please integrated into your service, you're hired. Another person, like just a lot of early users of the product themselves who were just really passionate about the problem. And they're still working at the company today. It's really, really incredible. 
That is incredible. I don't I've, I don't think I've ever heard a story quite like that where so many of the customers jump on board to be early, early team members. And I guess had had y'all already started thinking about whether you were going to be remote or not, because this is pre-pandemic era. And I guess the also the way that you're hiring, it maybe like kind of forces that function of remote. But yeah, can you talk us through that a little bit? So I was very militantly anti-remote at this time. I was just like, we live in SF, like we're going to be in SF together, like this is going to be great. And yet we were kind of forced into semi-remote work, even at that time. This is 2018, 2019, because of the nature of the way we were recruiting. Like we were just trying to get people who are really value aligned. Right. And value alignment has nothing to do with location. Like right. There are value aligned people everywhere. So like this first designer we had, he was in Poland and he's just an amazing designer. And he was doing awesome work and he was in Poland. And he's like, I'm not moving to the US. Like, my life is here. Another example, like our head of talk strategy, Shehan, like super sharp CPA, really interested in the crypto space. He was like, he was based in Houston and he really enjoyed being there. At one point, I tried to force him to move to SF and he came and he's like, I hate this. Like, I'm going back to Houston. <laughs> and he was doing amazing work in a remote way. And so we kind of had what we ended up happening, we sort of ended up having this semi remote team where like half the team was in San Francisco and half the team was spread out in different places. And that was kind of fine. But the ambition was always to like, we had an office in SF, we were going to build a team in SF. And then as soon as COVID hit, we were just like, screw it. We're just going to fully lean into this remote thing. And I think it's one of the best decisions we've ever made. Now our team is fully distributed, dozen plus countries all over the place. Like we really lean into asynchronous work and it's vastly opened up the talent pool of people that we can work with, significantly increased the diversity of the team. Right. It's just been game changing. Wow. And I, yeah, I know Grav has been kind of on a world tour right now, making his rounds. <laughs> I guess. So now you building out your team, building out your team, eventually you have to start hiring leaders to help build this thing out with you. Is Gaurav the first executive hire or who's the first executive to come on board? The first executive to come on board. So outside of John and me, we ended up bringing on a chief operating officer, Vera, That's right. who I knew really well from my days at Google also. And she was the one who did that Coinbase partnership. So she had a lot, we had a long history of working together and it was kind of becoming clear that we were kind of starting to scale the team. And we were going to have more operational needs and we were going to need someone to kind of work on things like, how are we going to do OKRs? How is that going to look at a 10 person versus 50 person versus 100 person versus a thousand person company? And another thing was that we started realizing that partnerships was going to be a very core part of our growth strategy. And we were starting to set up partnerships with Coinbase and Intuit. And I can do the first version of those, but if we're going to really invest in that channel and make it world-class, we need a world-class person who has done partnerships at, at like an international scale. And that was Vera. She's incredible. And so that, it's a, kind of a long story about how kind of ended up like convincing her to join. But she initially started as kind of like a consultant, just was crushing it. And eventually we wore her down and she joined. <laughs> yeah. And then engineering was the other big area where John was initially managing the engineering team, but we needed someone who could be fully focused on cultivating, scaling, hiring, mentoring, setting the technical vision so that John could really focus on company building as the CEO. And so that's when we, we worked with you guys and had that awesome search. And we're super happy that Cora decided to join. Yeah, so are we. It's been nice to watch him work. If you could talk to us about how transformational those leadership hires are, you're setting the bar for the rest of the leadership team, you're up-leveling the different departments that you and John are essentially department heads in every direction. Now you're building out on all sides. What does that look like, that impact on the company? If you can talk us through some of those different experiences you've had now. Hiring good executives is game-changing. It's transformational. And it's in a way that I didn't fully appreciate before going through this process. Every hire is actually 
has the potential to be game changing. And I've seen this from ICs to like more senior folks. But the thing with executives is that they have leveraged impact based on the teams that they manage, the other managers that they manage, the culture that they set, the vision that they have, the influence that they have. And so it is just so transformational to have that. And I think Vera and Gaurav are shining examples of this, both in their own domains. So for example, Gaurav on the engineering side, like he is such a strong and seasoned engineering leader that he sets a super high technical bar for the types of people that we hire and the types of technical challenges that we face and the ambitions that we have. And he, he attracts other world-class engineers because like really strong people want to work with other really strong people. So it's been really fun to see that kind of play out on the engineering side. Gaurav also has a really strong, like I play to win sort of mindset, which is really fun to be around because it's like, we're not here. I mean, yes, we want to have a good time. We want to have fun working together, but we're not just here to have fun. We're here to win. Right. And like that gets everyone, myself included, so energized. It's like, all right, we're going to win. Like, yeah. let's go. Yeah. And so it's that's why these value alignment things, I think, really, really matter a lot. I was actually just recently going back through my interview notes for Vera and Gaurav. And the first sentence that I wrote I mean, you recall this. We went through so many candidates together and like there were definitely parts of the search that were tougher and there were times where it kind of felt hopeless and whatever. But when you find the right person, it just hits you so hard. You light up. You just light up. And I remember the very first sentence I wrote down in my interview notes, the first time I had ever met Gaurav was, I love Gaurav. (laughs) We have to get this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I just, the spark was there. I felt the connection. I was just like, we have to get this guy. And it was a really crazy closing process. But it was just when you feel the connection and like the spark and like, wow, we can build something amazing together. You really feel that. And that's been, that's played out. And, and similarly with Vera, like I've known Vera as even as a friend and as a previous coworker for a long time. And it's just when I see her operate in a partnerships room with other like seasoned leaders and executives, it's just, she just lights up the room. People just get so excited. And I'm just like, I just kind of sit back in awe, like, oh my God, like we have to work with this yeah, person. Yeah. So yeah, you just know, sometimes you just know. Yeah, there's a gravitas that can't be quantified and there's no accounting for chemistry. Someone could be more qualified, but you just don't have that chemistry and it's it makes it tough. Totally. And so now that you've built out the company, you've probably 10x from you and John, maybe twice doubled it since then. How have you managed the culture, especially remotely? Like we have opinions that culture is emergent and it's of the people. There's you can maybe engineer it a little bit. How has that worked for Coin Tracker as you guys have continued to scale? There's so much to be said on this topic. Okay, so a couple of things that come to mind. The first is being very intentional about what are you trying to do? Because culture is there, whether you want it or not. It's not like what you put on the plaque on the wall. It is how people behave, and especially how people behave when you're not looking. And so you can either choose to be intentional about it and try to craft it, or you can just let it form. Either way, it's going to form. There's a culture in every community and every organization. And so I think, yeah, just being intentional about it just is gives you more power because you can then craft what you want it to be. So I think thinking about it, being intentional about it, and openly discussing how you want it to be, debating it, it's like such an important thing. That has been really, really important and helpful. And then a massive way that culture is influenced, especially in the early stages of a startup, is how you hire because every person is now an additional 50% or 33% or 10% of your company. And it's going to tell you, like, it's going to refer other people and it's going to be interviewing other people and it's going to represent your company to the outside world. So really tying in that intentional set of cultural values that you have into your hiring process. A big way that plays out for us at Cointracker, for example, is that we try to evaluate people separately on 
kind of their ability to do the job and do it really well and their value alignment. And if it's not strong on both dimensions independently, it's likely not going to be a, a strong fit. And there are people, there are people who are super value aligned, but maybe like not super capable on the dimensions we care about work-wise or vice versa. That's kind of the worst is when there's people who are super genius, but like it's just values-wise doesn't feel right or person, super smart asshole type of environment. Like we, no, we have no tolerance for that. Yeah. So yeah, I think just being really intentional about it and then infusing it into the actual hiring process. The third thing you mentioned, kind of the asynchronous remote environment. We love asynchronous work. It's a core part of what we do. It's absolutely amazing. It allows deep flow states and focus. It allows opening up the talent pool to 7,000 times more people than you would have otherwise. However, building deep personal connections is just easier to do in person. And so to kind of reconcile that, we do company retreats twice a year where we fly everyone globally into one city for a week. And it's a really great opportunity to allow those cultural values to shine and allow people to build those deeper personal connections and allow the culture to grow and enhance itself. So that's one thing we've done to kind of keep that while still maintaining this remote culture. Yeah. We try to do the same thing too. Yeah. There's no substitute for the in-person. How do you choose your city now that you have people literally like it? You probably have over like a dozen countries easy and your team members. Yeah. So we've done two of these retreats so far. And I think the locations were sort of planned out of somewhat convenience for like the majority of people. We're doing the next one. We're trying to figure out where to go now. So if people have suggestions, now's the time to suggest them. (laughs) But I think it's also about like having a diversity of locations so that different people feel like they're included in different places and that it's more convenient for different, across all the world. So we want to make sure that there's always some place that's convenient for some group of people. Right. Yeah. And then are you really structuring this time? Is it like a week or something? And are you, is it really structured or is it just? It's a week. It's highly structured. Oh yeah. Highly structured. (laughs) But we try to make some time for kind of leisure time too. So like it's a highly structured week and there's definitely like blocks of work and collaboration and unconferencing and team building and stuff that happens. But there's also free leisurely dinners, mini golf, meow wolf, like go have fun, do activities, like just chill, go on walks. Like it's both. And I think both are really important, both to have that kind of structured collaborative team building and to have loose connections. Like I just want to go chill and hang out with this person who I slacked, but never like got to know in the flesh, wine tasting, whatever, like just have fun. Yeah, because there's people that you that you work with on a day to day, probably that you don't meet. And then there's people on the other side of the company that's now a little further away as you're growing up. And you may not know that you're going to hit it off with that person. Totally. Like the, the level of depth of connection I built with my coworkers, it boggles the mind. Like I didn't <laughs> even know it was possible. And I think another thing is that one of my friends was telling me that it's there's like a lot of research that goes into like human connections. And what the research suggests is it's really about the depth and quality of interactions that you have as opposed to the frequency of, of them. Right. And so, yeah, I just, I feel really deeply bonded with my coworkers like going to these retreats. It's wild. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And now we're, there's a lot of things going on in the world. In crypto, we're seeing a lot of things go on in crypto. How has this affected the hiring pipeline for you? How has this affected the, the narrative challenges maybe that you're up against? And how have you navigated that? Because I'm sure there's a ton of Web3 companies that are kind of in the same bucket in some respect. Totally. I mean, we're squarely in crypto winter. Inflation's at 9%. We're kind of in this recessionary environment. Like a lot of companies are doing layoffs. A lot of crypto companies are struggling. So like we get this question a ton and I do a lot of interviews. So it's definitely top of mind for folks. I think Cointracker in particular is in kind of a very lucky position, to be honest. 
which is that the company is profitable. The company is growing even in the winter environment. We have a $100 million Series A that we haven't touched a single penny of because the company is profitable. Wow. So we have like underlying what we're doing, a really strong financial sort of like foundation. And that gives us a lot of confidence that, yes, like we should continue hiring, we should continue building this team. Like we should be prudent and cautious and make sure our financial planning and our capacity planning and all that is kind of buttoned up so that we don't end up in this rift situations that a lot of companies are finding themselves in. But there's a lot of work to be done. And we're taking a very long-term view on our mission and what we think can be done to increase the world's financial freedom and prosperity. It's not going to happen in the next six months. This is like a multi-year long-term vision. And we have a lot of confidence about that, especially having gone through this in 2017, 2018 and seeing that winter play out. It's like there are these boom cycles where it's all about growth. And then there are these winter cycles where it's all about building. And that's where we are now. In terms of how it affects hiring, though, it tends to reduce the amount of like hype and excitement around crypto, but it makes it much easier to be discerning around who is sort of genuinely value aligned right. with the long-term mission of what we're doing. I could totally say that where you don't get as many people in the pipeline, but the people that are in the pipeline are there because they believe, essentially. It's not just like, oh, hype. Wow. You totally nailed it. I mean, it's harder in some ways, but in other ways, it's actually easier. It's like, it's way more obvious who is actually interested in what we're doing because you have to be a certain kind of person to want to work at a crypto company during crypto winter. Yeah, for sure. That's a different breed. <laughs> and so we're coming in closing rounds. And so I do want to get just some of your take on your industry and then some of the takeaways of just your experience now having had this opportunity to look back across it. In the crypto adoption realm, even if we're in a winter, I think crypto adoption is increasing. Awareness is increasing. Where do you see the industry going and whether that's how long the winter is or what you expect to come after the winter are the things that are most exciting to you about what's happening out there in the building phase of, of this? Yeah. So I'm really bad at short-term predictions. Like, I don't know how long the winter is going to last or where crypto prices are going to go or whatever in the short term, but yeah, yeah. I have as much or more conviction around the crypto space in general over the long term than I ever have. Like I dollar cost average into Bitcoin every single day. I continue to be excited and work on Cointracker five years in, and I'm even more excited now than when we first started. And that's because the mission, the fundamental principles around this aren't different. Like ACH and Swift still suck. <laughs> the financial infrastructure is still terrible. It still yeah. doesn't work on weekends. It still doesn't work on holidays. It still doesn't work well internationally. Like it makes no sense. We should be able to send our money and value to anyone, anywhere in the world instantly for free, 24 seven, 365. That should just be possible. So that just gets me very excited about the future of like international commerce and payments. And I know that that is going to get better during our lifetimes. It will. I love it. So I think things like that, those fundamental things that just remain true, continue sort of like being like bright beacons of hope and excitement for me. I guess there's lots of other sort of like more hyped and scammy and fraudy things that I think we're going to get wiped out during this sort of winter cycle as they have in every previous cycle in 2018 and 2014 and 2011. And that's fine. Like that's the healthy growth of the industry. You have hype, you bring lots of new people in, you have winter, it wipes lots of things out. But the things that endure are these things that are kind of based on long-term value. That's what gets me excited. Right. And as an addendum to this, is there a difference between Web3 and crypto in your mind <laughs> across this industry? I'm not an expert on this, but in my mind, Web3 is sort of like decentralized applications. So taking some kind of marketplace or organization or service and making it decentralized. 
And crypto in my mind is sort of like short for cryptocurrency and just represents like any token or coin. I think where they overlap is when you have cryptocurrencies that are used in Web3 applications. So for Uh example, if you have like an Ether or an ERC20 token that is used to power some kind of Web3 interface, whether that be a financial application, like the DeFi yield tool or something like that, or some kind of utility network. I think crypto in my mind also encompasses non-Web3 use cases. For example, Bitcoin, just like international payments or global financial infrastructure store value. So yeah, that's in my mind the nuance. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that'll be a helpful distinction for some people. And now, yeah, having looked back at the journey, what wisdom would you impart to the younger Chandan just (laughs) starting off now that you're able to get some distance from that day one? I don't know if this is going to be a satisfying answer. First of all, I'm not sure the younger version of me would listen to anything the older version of me has to say. (laughs) Like, what do you know? Yeah, yeah. What do you know? Exactly. I think the main thing would be just enjoy the journey. Like, I think I often forget to do that. And I often am like always focused on the next thing or like the end destination. It's like there is no end destination. It's just like we're going on this journey. Just enjoy the journey and enjoy it with the people that you're with. And I I love the people that I'm with. And so just enjoying it day to day and having fun along the way. I love it. And, And on the hiring side, what wisdom or what game would you give away to a young founder who is now looking to build out their team or maybe hire their first executive? I would say value alignment matters. And it matters more than anything. I would, choosing between someone who's highly competent versus highly highly value-lined, I would pick the highly value-lined person every time. Wow. That might be a hot take for some people. I'm right there with you, though. Like on this journey thing that you mentioned, I feel like it's rarely what you're doing. It's almost always who you're doing it with that can kind of make the experience. Whether you're riding through a winter or a boom, they're the people around you. Uh, 100%. Awesome. Well, uh, closing question. Who is someone out there, another founder, maybe maybe in your space that you really admire, really respect and want to give some flowers to? <laughs> some flowers to? I mean, there's so many. I'll go back to like, I think Devin and Alex from OpenSea. I just admire them a lot because literally no one gave a shit about what they were doing when they started OpenSea. Like every, myself included, everyone thought like stupid NFTs, like, I mean, a lot of people still think NFTs are stupid, but <laughs> yeah. like in 2017, like everyone was like, what the hell are these guys doing? And they went from that and persevered year after year through winter to build one of the most massive businesses in the crypto industry. It is just incredible. They are real hustlers. And it looks like an overnight success from the outside externally, but there were years of just grinding yeah. to like get to what they've built. And it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I'd forgotten they were part of your YC cohort. That is, that's a long time. Shout out to Devin. Maybe we can get him on the pod one time. But yeah, hey, it's been great having you. I really appreciate you sharing so much of your story and, and your experience with us. I think a lot of people are going to gonna get a lot from this. But yeah, honored to have played a role in the Coin Tracker story. And yeah, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. Take care, Nigel. All right. Cheers. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients and Apple Podcasts google podcast spotify or anywhere else podcasts are found click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes and on behalf of everyone here at build thanks for listening